Hello, my name is Gail Barry. This is Teaching with Learning in Mind, the podcast for anyone who is in the business of teaching in higher education. This podcast consists of seven episodes, which will be hosted by myself and a few guests. The framework for the podcast is borrowed from a wonderful book called How Learning Works by Susan Ambrosier, Michael Bridges, Michelle DiPietro, Marsha Lovett, and Maureen Norman. I will put a link to the book in the episode description. Today, we're going to talk about how prior knowledge influences a student's learning. This episode has two parts. First, we will talk about the principles, and then we can climb into the strategies, which you can use in your classroom. I will purposefully use teacher terminology because I suspect as a higher education educators, we hide behind the lecturer label and free ourselves from the, the responsibility of teaching and student learning. Let's remember how to be teachers, not just subject matter experts. Let's explore how a student's prior knowledge can help or hinder their learning. Learning is enhanced when it can be linked to existing knowledge. This can be formal learning or informal learning. Students are not empty vessels waiting to be filled. They have knowledge. They have an amalgamation of facts, concepts, models, perceptions, beliefs, values, and attitudes. Prior knowledge can be inactive, it can be insufficient, it can be inappropriate, or it can be inaccurate. Let's talk about activating prior knowledge. Students may well not spontaneously remember things they have learned before. This means you will have to give them minor prompts or reminders. You may even need to ask some interrogational questions. We call these elaborate interrogation questions or why questions. The takeaway is really that students learn more readily when they can connect what they are learning to what they already know. Teachers should not assume that students will immediately or naturally draw on their prior knowledge. Rather, you should deliberately activate prior knowledge to help your students make the links and retain the information. The second thing research tells us is that students can have accurate but insufficient prior knowledge. There are several typologies of knowledge but two types of knowledge seem to reoccur consistently through these typologies. Procedural knowledge and declarative knowledge, which is ironically the structure of this podcast. In this first part of the podcast, I'm giving you declarative knowledge. I'm telling you things. In the second part of this podcast, I'm going to give you procedural knowledge. And those are strategies which you can use in your classroom to make a difference. So let's talk about procedural and declarative knowledge. Procedural knowledge is the do. How do we do things? Declarative knowledge is the what and the why of how we know things. Often students can know but not do, or do but do not know. So I'll give you two examples. Students can do calculations, draw details, perform practical tasks, without being able to articulate what or why they are doing. Or students can state facts but can't apply them in any or in limited contexts. So the takeaway here is that knowing 
is different to doing. And it's very important that you as a teacher are clear in your own mind about the knowledge requirements of different tasks and not to assume that students have both types of knowledge when really you've only seen evidence of one. Let's have a look at inappropriate prior knowledge. This kind of prior knowledge may not be inaccurate, just inappropriate for the specific context of your class, module, or subject area. So there are a few reasons that this might happen. Analogies are such a wonderful tool for teaching, but they can also prove problematic. If students take the analogy at face value and don't realize where the analogy ends and the concept begins. So I will give you my favorite example. I teach students about prior knowledge by explaining to them the concept of a pegboard. So if you don't know what a pegboard is, it is a plywood piece of board that is mounted on the wall with holes in it. And it's super trendy. You get these little pegs, these little sort of wooden dowels that you poke in the holes and then you can balance a board on it and you can make a bookshelf, you can put a plant there, you can do all sorts of things. But without the pegs, you've basically got a flat wall. So if you're going to put books there, they're going to fall on the ground. But if you have got pegs, being the prior knowledge, you can put a piece of board on it, being the new knowledge, you can pack books on it, you can pack a pot plant on it, now, if a student didn't know where that concept ended, they would assume at some point that you could have all the pegs in the whole world. You can have all the knowledge in the whole world. And that is really the end of the analogy and the beginning of completely inappropriate knowledge. Students could have context or discipline knowledge that does not transfer well to where they are now. So for example, a lot of lecturers have problems with students who have completed foundational courses in computer software, but then cannot use the software. So for example, you may, in your first year, have completed a foundational course in Excel, but that doesn't mean that you can all of a sudden start using complex functions inside the software. Linguistics, is also commonly a problem, especially in a country like South Africa, where many of our students are not first language English speakers. So they may not understand what is being explained to them because they don't necessarily understand the language structure or the words being used. In a similar vein, cultural knowledge is when we use our own worldview to try and understand something that may belong to a different culture and it doesn't make sense to us. So the best example I can give you here is both cultural and in terms of linguistics. So if I give you the phrase negative reinforcements, what does that mean to you in your head? What are you thinking? I probably think that what it is is not what you were thinking it is. Just because it's got the word negative there does not mean it's a bad thing. But in our lives, we've been conditioned to know that negative means bad. So negative reinforcement is actually when something uncomfortable is removed in response to a stimulus. So let's say you have a student who did incredibly well in class today and you give them the night off homework or you tell them they don't need to do a specific project. That is 
reward for doing well. Now, reward and doing well have positive uh, associations, but negative reinforcement has a bad association when actually they mean the same thing. Interesting, hey? So the takeaway here is that when you learn new knowledge, students may well draw on knowledge that is inappropriate. It's not wrong. It's just inappropriate for that context, which means that it can distract from their interpretation and understanding of what they are learning. So let's talk about inaccurate prior knowledge. This is possibly the most complex and challenging part to dealing with a student's prior knowledge. Inaccurate prior knowledge refers to flawed ideas, beliefs, models, or theories. And these predispose students to ignore, discount, or resist evidence that conflicts with what they believe they know to be true. Inaccurate prior knowledge can be corrected fairly easily if the knowledge in question consists of isolated beliefs or ideas through basic refutation of what students think they know. Misconceptions, however, are far more challenging to rectify. Misconceptions are deeply embedded in a student's thinking. These could be naive theories, folk psychology, or stereotypes. They are challenging to refute because every now and then they are actually proven true by fluke. For example, I'm a redhead. And all redheads are said to be fiery. This is not true. Unless, of course, you catch me on a bad day. But then that's true for everyone, not just redheads. In these situations, change is brought about incrementally, not overnight. And only, or mostly, when sufficiently motivated. Luckily, our students are motivated by marks. However, remember that such deep-seated truths, though inaccurate, are still that student's default way of thinking and knowing. So under stress or time constraints, these students will go back to what they know to be true. Logic and rational refutation be damned. A change in a fundamental way of thinking or knowing takes time and a lot of effort on the student's part. The takeaway here is that you need to address inaccurate knowledge that may distort new learning. It's important to recognize that a single correction or refutation is unlikely to help students. Students need to bridge from what they know to what they should know. And this is a process of conceptual change. So that's the end of the first part of our podcast. Now you have declarative knowledge about a student's prior knowledge and how that affects their learning. In this second part of our podcast, let's talk about the strategies you can implement in your classroom to make the most of your students' prior knowledge. First off, let's talk about ways to identify the nature of a student's prior knowledge. There are a few ways that you can do this. First of all, you could talk to your colleagues. Establish what the students have learned before entering your module and pay specific attention to the prerequisite modules. Ask your colleagues what the students were proficient with and where they battled. Think of this as a handover briefing. You could also try a diagnostic assessment. These are short, low-stake assessments 
to give you an idea of what they know or can do. You do not need to mark all of these. You can review them as a whole to reveal patterns of students' overall preparedness. But please note that these are not necessarily fair, valid, or reliable forms of assessment because they're not vetted or moderated. This is your own assessment of what students should know pre-activation or interventions in the module. Concept inventories, on the other hand, are safer and have higher validity and reliability scores. A concept inventory is an ungraded multiple choice questionnaire that includes well-placed incorrect answers to reveal common misconceptions. You can develop your own concept inventory over time, or you can search online for tools slash answers that you could use. You could also try and have students assess their own prior knowledge. This is effective, but not foolproof. Create a list of concepts and skills that you expect them to have at the beginning of the module, and a list of concepts and skills that they will learn during the module. Then ask them to grade their level of competence for each concept or skill on a scale from familiarity to application, where familiarity means I have heard the term, factual means I could define it, conceptual means I could explain it to someone else, and application means I could use it to solve problems. Examine the data as a whole to identify areas where students know more or less than you expected them to. You could also try brainstorming. Based on the type of question you pose at the beginning of the brainstorm session, you could uncover all manner of beliefs, associations, assumptions, factual or conceptual knowledge, procedural knowledge, or contextual knowledge. You should take note, though, that a brainstorm session does not systematically gauge what students know. Think of it more like a hive mind brain dump, which means that accurate and appropriate knowledge is present, but so is inaccurate and inappropriate knowledge. You could also try a concept map. Concept maps, if you are not familiar with the idea, lists concepts in circles and joins them with links, usually labeled. Concept maps must be used purposefully and with appropriate training and preparation. For example, if you want to see how students link concepts, you could even provide them with a list of concepts and ask the students to link and justify the concepts. A concept map is an effective way of determining gaps in a student's knowledge, inappropriate links, preconceptions, or simply naive theories. Lastly, you could try and recognize patterns of error. Student misconception is usually shared, which means that they are collaborating and helping each other, which is pretty cool. Regardless of the source, whether it's assignments or quizzes or other projects, you will notice commonalities across your class. Try keeping track of these patterns. They will help you target instruction to correct these misconceptions. You will remember that in the first part of this podcast, we spoke about students who do not have enough prior knowledge, those with inappropriate or even inaccurate prior knowledge. Now let's unpack some strategies to deal with each of these. Students who do not have sufficient prior knowledge can easily be assisted once you have identified where the gaps in their learning lie. To do this, you can ask yourself, what should a student know to be able to do this? Base this on your assessments. 
the answers will create a skill or concept list for you to work with. Once you have your skill and concept list established, you must find out how many students have got the same or similar gaps. If it's just a handful, you can prescribe additional resources and activities, but be mindful that you need to be quite specific about the scope and the subject matter that they need to catch up on. If there are a few more students, perhaps a teaching assistant could schedule a catch-up session for these students outside of class time. And if nearly all the students show the same gaps in learning, then either your module is the problem or there is a much larger problem in the department. In my opinion, it is most frequently the module that is out of sync with the program. If a lecturer finds that students are continually failing to meet the minimum requirements for the module, perhaps the lecturer should review their own module or ask for outside input. When students have inappropriate prior knowledge, there are a number of strategies that you can make use of. The bottom line is that it is fundamentally important that you, the teacher, provide clear instructions and expectations. You should highlight the conditions of applicability so that each student knows when or when not to apply the knowledge they already have. Providing a rule of thumb for specific situations will further ensure that students are mindful about the application of their prior knowledge. Furthermore, you can identify discipline-specific conventions. That way, students may think twice about applying conventions of a different discipline which they are more comfortable with. I'll give you an example. When I taught technical drawing to architectural technology students, I had to point out that there were rules and procedures which were specific to architectural drawings, which were not necessarily applicable to civil engineering drawings or any other type of machine drawings. In fact, when I was a student, I had a lecturer who used to repeatedly say to us, this is not the architectural language. And that has always stuck with me. I mean, her accent aside, architecture had a language. And when you were doing architectural drawings, you had to be able to speak that language. And that is a beautiful example of how I, as a student, applied knowledge that was not necessarily architecturally correct to something that I should have been doing differently. When students have an inaccurate prior knowledge, a number of strategies can be drawn on. The foundation of these strategies is to provide a student with opportunities to prove their own misconceptions wrong. You may provide students with opportunities to predict and test outcomes. This is particularly effective in fields like maths and science. Other fields might benefit from providing students with opportunities to justify their reasoning based on what they believe to be true. The flip side of this coin is that if attitudes and beliefs are deeply held and reinforced, the misconception may defy reasoning and logical arguments. Regardless of the field or subject matter, you should make sure to provide students with multiple opportunities to use accurate knowledge. At the same time, be sure to limit distractions and provide time. Students, well, actually just all humans, default to our own deeply held truths. When trying to alter a misconception, you have to be patient and you have to provide a lot of opportunities. In this podcast, we explored the critical role that prior knowledge plays in laying the groundwork for new learning. Consider the last time you felt that your students were ill-prepared for your module. 
Do you think any of these strategies would help you prepare your students better? Or perhaps simply understanding the importance of prior knowledge has changed how you will approach your module this time. Thank you for listening to this podcast, because without you, I would just be talking to myself in a sound booth. Please try a few of these strategies in your classroom and share your experiences or feedback with us. I will leave contact details in the episode information. In our next episode, we will explore how students organize knowledge and how this affects their learning.